what an honor it is to just know him and trust him and walk before him. I don't know if you have thought about this, but I have. Thought, Lord, out of all the millions and millions of people just here in our nation, yet you have allowed us to be part of your kingdom. And it just it's just staggering. It's amazing. The goodness of the Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Amen. I've been speaking about a thought, and I, I want to carry that out and continue that at least today about opportunities. I've, I've just felt, oh, it's been a month ago or so that I felt like this impressed on my heart. And I've preached about different things, different aspects of opportunities. I want to talk this morning about opportunities that's been squandered. Opportunities that have been squandered. If you got your Bibles, I uh, want to go to the book of Matthew, if you would, with me to the 18th chapter. Read two verses, the 29th and the 30th verses of the uh, 18th chapter of Matthew. like to wear a tie when I was speaking. I'm going to let my throat expand a little bit. I never know if I need to yell. I might need to yell. If I see anybody sleeping, I'll need to yell. But uh, so kind of usually, usually take that off. And then, so let's go to the 29th verse. And then falling down at his feet, his fellow servant begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay all to you. But he would not. But going away, he threw him in prison until he pay back the amount that he owed. Acts, the fifth chapter. You all recognize this setting of Scripture. I want to read uh, the third and fourth verses out of the fifth chapter. Then Peter said to Ananias, Why did uh, Satan fill your heart? For you to lie to the Holy Spirit. And to secretly keep back from the price of the land. It remaining. Did did it not remain yours? And being sold was it not in your authority? Why is it that this action has been put into your heart? You did not lie to men. But you lied to God. One more setting. And so you can see we're going to three different circumstances or opportunities. And this final one in Luke, the 23rd chapter, 39. Luke 23 and 39. And one of the hanged criminals blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But answering, the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? For you are in the same judgment. 
and indeed justly. For we received things worthy of what we did. But this one did nothing wrong. Lord, we just come before you, bringing your word. Let it be a lamp unto our path. And Lord, let it be light unto us, Lord. God, that we may be able to see even a little more clearly. Lord, turn up, turn up the, the light in our heart, we pray, Lord. As God, we just go to your word right now and say, Lord, in this, I pray that you would minister to us. I pray, God, that you would just encourage, encourage our faith, encourage our hearts to trust in you, to love you, Lord, to lean upon you, Jesus. We ask for your goodness in it, we pray. Amen. 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 Squandered opportunities. Well, some of the kids may not know what the word squander is. That's like an old word. So let's look at the word squander. Means, real simple, means to waste. You squander it. Waste it. I have wasted a few things in my life. I remember my, my folks, we got out and worked in the garden, in the yard, hauling wheelbarrows full of dirt. We thought they were full. Mom didn't, but we did. And paid us by the wheelbarrow to haul dirt around for us. And we did earn five bucks a piece. My dad said, Craig, don't take it to school. It's your, your money, but don't take it to school. You're going to lose it there. And, but no, he wanted to take it. He wanted to show the kids he had, you know, had five bucks. And back then, I guess that, you know, was a little something to show. Not me, man. I went right down to the store, and I bought, I, I believe I bought $5 of bubble gum. I wasn't going to let that money get away from me. But in a sense, we both squandered it. I mean, he came home without the $5, and so did I. It's just a little story about squandering. It just means to waste, to allow, to pass, be lost. In this sense, opportunity was there, and you wasted it. The opportunity that was squandered. What could have been beautiful and life-changing for these three persons, these three opportunities really became their demise and their downfall. And in this case, opportunity only knocked one time. We've heard the, the gospel repeated so many times that, that it just, you know, it's like, well, if I don't like it today, I'll just pick it up tomorrow. You know, they'll be preaching next week. I'll go to church next time, whatever. It doesn't really, you know, opportunities don't mean too much, too much to us because we have a whole bunch of them out there. But each one of these people had an opportunity, and they faced that opportunity with a clear-cut, aware decision of how they would handle the opportunity that was in front of them. And so I want to break this down this morning, and, and, and hopefully the Lord will just help us, help us to see a thing here. The first one is started out with Peter. Peter had a question for the rabbi. Lord... Yeshua, I've got a question. How many times should I forgive 
my brother. You know, I too have entertained that. I don't know if you have or not. When somebody maybe repeatedly over and over, maybe once in a while has has what we call sinned against you or offended you or in some way mistreated you. Um, there have, you know, it seems like every one of us just have one person in our life that is good at that. And so, Peter, I don't know who's bothering Peter. I don't know if it's maybe a friend, a relative. Um, but this concern is on his heart. How many times do I have to forgive a person? And so um, the Lord is going to give an answer that's not just a physical answer, but he's going to put a spiritual twist to it, and it's going to help you and I ongoing. And so this isn't really uh, something that you haven't heard before, but but I believe this, this and when we see this opportunity here, it, and, and so the Lord gives this answer uh, and compares it to the kingdom of heaven. Anytime the Lord compares something to the kingdom of heaven, he's got a message for you and I in it. And so he compares it to a man, a king, who had many servants. And at some point, and remember, this is, if we say the king and is compared to the, uh, the kingdom of heaven, then we know that it's the Lord, right? And so he is basically, what he's telling is a story that really is about him and about us. And so he said there's, there's this king that has servants. They, he calls them in to reckon the accounting of his kingdom. And he has just been doing business. They've been going and doing and buying and selling and all the things that they're doing. And the king finally says, let's figure out what our treasury is here and uh, bring everybody in, see what they owe, see what we've got. And that's what they begin to do. Do you know that the Lord is going to do that? Uh, somebody said, no, it's just easier to, to, to go. I heard just the other day again a preacher, he just preaching about, about Jesus you know, appease the wrath of God so there is no more wrath, there is no more judgment, there is no more question. No, no, not that really according to the Scripture here. He will, and it may be at times, it may not just be one final judgment at the end. I read where it said judgment begins at the house of God, and that wasn't the end day. So sometimes God just begins to call some things in just to see how the kingdom's going. Is that okay? He wants to see how his servants are doing in the kingdom. So this, they begin to account and, and they bring a man in who I just, I'm flabbergasted that whoever it was of the treasury that was loaning this man money out of the king's substance he owed a debt that is incredible. And so I like to try and figure out by our standards and our money what that would possibly be. And so he owed this debt, and the Scripture said 10,000 10, talents, 10,000 talents. And if we just thought a talent was maybe about a dollar, he owed $10,000, not too, too much. But a talent is not a dollar. A talent is equal to 6,000 days of work. And if we figure that our average, we'll just say an average of $100 a day, you can kind of begin to see how much money that he owed. 
he's in debt so far. I, I don't know that I would keep loaning to him. I saw a thing where a guy was in debt to the bank and the bank was going to call his note and, and somebody said, maybe you don't owe him enough. Because if you know, owe him enough, you know, the risk is so much greater for them to foreclose and whatnot. So this guy, how could you owe, and so let's get it down to money-wise, how could you owe 60 million days of wages or 160,000 years of work, $6 billion. I'm closing the bank at about, you know, about the 10000 I say, no, no, no. You, what is the guy doing with the money? He's got to be gambling. There just isn't anything else that could consume that kind of money. He owes more than he can pay in 160,000 lifetimes. So I think what the Lord is trying to do is show us that the man could not pay it. Amen? He owes such a debt that it's unpayable. There's nothing in a lifetime he can do. There is no way that he has any resources of any kind to try and pay this debt. And so he falls down before the king, and he says something that's humorous. Give me more time, and I will pay it all. Give me 160,000 life, lifetimes, and I'll pay you back. He can't pay him. There's just no way that he could pay him. Now, it got out of hand. It began to spiral. I don't know who was loaning, giving him the money for the king. And then finally, the king reckons this thing and says, no. No, there's just, there's just one solution to this. And that man is down. He's asking, please give me mercy. And this is the kind of Lord that we serve. I'm going to do something that you cannot do. You can't pay it. There's an old song that says, I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. And so I am free. <laughs> wow. The debt of sin. Let me tell you this. You cannot pay for a sin. Burning in hell does not pay for sins. There is no way to reckon your sin. It's done. It's there. You can't forgive it. You can't, you can't get over it. There's no way to cleanse that out of your life. There is one solution to your that you you of your debt. Wow. Wow, what it feels. Do you remember what it felt like when Jesus took the load of sin off your life? Just felt so relieved, so clean, so pure. It's like, thank you, you know. Just, Lord, what can I do to ever pay? You can't pay him back. All you can do is just serve him and love him and thank him all the days of your life. You owe him the praise and the glory. You don't owe him for sin anymore. He's forgiven that. But you owe him the praise and the glory for what he has done in your life. And why do you think we come in on Sunday morning? I'm here to thank you, Jesus, for everything you have done for me. So now... This man who has been forgiven of a $6 billion debt. That's a big one. He goes out 
And he is looking for the man that owes him $10,000. $10,000 is a pretty good sum. If any of you here this morning owed me $10,000, you know, what, what would I do with that? Um, this man went out and found him and grabbed him by the throat. Can I use you for an... No, I won't use And it says he begins to choke him. I want my money and I want it now. And he's choking him out. That man falls down and repeats the same words that he said that the former man had said to the king. If you just give me more time, I will pay it. But the thing is, at $10,000, he could pay it. It might take him six months. It might take him about a year, but, but he could pay it back. It's possible. It was impossible for the other man. He has an opportunity to show mercy and goodness and kindness like the Father has shown to him. There's the opportunity. And the Lord begins to speak to my heart because really, really, he wasted that opportunity, cast the man into prison. I don't know how you're going to pay it back in prison. You can't work in prison. Throws him in prison. And then the king hears of what he did, and the king has him destroyed. Because he had an opportunity, but he squandered that. Can you, can you imagine now? If that man had had mercy in his life, what a great life he would have had. He would have completed his journey in life thankful and grateful and had a good life. No, he's full of bitterness. He's full of anger. He's full of selfishness. Let me tell you something. Just getting forgiven a debt in your life does not change your nature. Some so-called Christian people that I have run into in my lifetime are mean, hateful, stingy. They are going to take advantage of other people. Let me tell you what this is about. This isn't about the comparison story so that only Peter could know I'm supposed to forgive more. But what Jesus is telling the church is that you're going to be forgiven of a debt. And thank God we are. Thank God we've been forgiven. But I want you to know this, that when you go out and there is no forgiveness in your heart, that the Father's going to call it back. Watch it. So I'm going to have to touch on something that, that everybody knows. Your sins are, are thrown in the sea of forgetfulness. Have anybody heard that term yet? If you haven't, you heard it right now. The sea of forgetfulness. It's not in the Bible, but it's a good idea. So God takes your sin and he casts them out in the sea of forgetfulness. Well, he forgot on this guy because he called it back. And so Jesus said, look, if you don't forgive, then the Father is not going to forgive you of what you've already committed. Well, that's an interesting concept. I thought I'm free and ready to go. And that's what this guy thought. I'm ready. I'm good to go. I've got it all. I'm forgiven. Now I can go out and do my stuff. And No, no, no. The Lord says, you're going to be forgiven, but it's with strings attached. I don't know. The, the modern church hates that. 
Because, no, there's no strings attached. I just, you know, Jesus did forgive me. Everything's cool. No. The strings attached are now you're going to do what I did for you, and that is that you're going to learn to forgive other people. Can the church say amen? Amen. Because I'm, I'm going to use a Super Bowl term now. Because Jesus gets us. Oh, yeah. He gets us. Let me tell you something about your human nature. And I was thinking about I was praying about this this morning. Lord, wouldn't it be awesome and wonderful if we came to the Lord and we born again in Christ Jesus that we never had to deal again with this old man who shall deliver me from this old wretched man that I am? But Jesus knows, and so instruction in righteousness is not pointed to the world, it's pointed to the church. Growing in grace and knowledge, understanding of the Lord Jesus isn't for the world, it's for us. And so the Lord knows that in our human nature, what are we going to do? What's your first response if somebody owes you? Your first response is let's go out and collect that and get that squared away so we can all be happy. No, Jesus said your first response would be if they can't, if they can't pay, your first response should be I'm going to forgive you. And if you've ever forgiven anybody of anything, I'm going to tell you what, you know the feeling of the grace of God that's been given to you. Hallelujah. And so the Lord gets us. He knows what we're about. Yeah, He knows what we're about. And so He's going to fix it in our life. You're going to have opportunity. And you might remember this, this topic, the sermons that we've been preaching. God's going to give you opportunity. God's going to give you opportunity. Somebody who can't. They don't have the ability to, to pay you back. They don't have the ability. And, and God's going to work compassion in your life. Can you say amen? There's something about this thing about being forgiven and forgiving also. I think it's in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us, Lord, as we forgive others. Can you say amen? And so the Lord, Rabbi Jesus, thank you, Lord, for that. I want to be like Jesus, don't you? Amen. I want to wear the same sandals, the same kind of a suit, have a beard. They're not going to tell me I can't have a beard. I have a beard. Jesus had a beard. And well, I want to be like Jesus. Yippee. Okay. Learn to forgive. And I think Brother Dustin been talking about this. I think the church. Paul said, do you take a brother to court? There we go. It's time that the church begins to love each other, being forgiving one another, being kind, tenderhearted to one another. My grandmother's favorite scripture, be kind, tenderhearted one to, to one towards another. And she was talking to me and my brother. We're just fighting, you know, and be kind, tenderhearted. Give mercy, even as the Lord has showed you mercy. Amen. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm looking for an opportunity for that. God, in my life, if that comes up, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. To do it the way that you would do it. Can you say amen? I want to go to the second one. The second one is in the book of Acts. The second one is about two people, Ananias and Sapphira, who were in the church. They were not outsiders. They were not, uh, you know, of the world. They were a part of of the body there in Jerusalem, the early church is being established. And so 
if you read the preceding before the fifth chapter, right preceding that, and before Barnabas preceding that, it said, and many began to sell properties and houses that they owned and would come and lay that money at the feet of the apostles. Just simply meant that they gave it, turned loose of it, handed it over to them to just use it in the church. And, and the Lord, you can see Jesus said, I will build my church while he's beginning, you know, to... to structure some things, and, and we know that they're taking care of one another. It says that none of them had need because of this. That was the purpose of their giving, was that they were, they were selling things and bringing it in to the church, and they delivered it to the apostles. They didn't put it downtown in the bank, uh, but they turned it over to the church body, those 11 men that if they couldn't trust them, they couldn't trust anybody. I'm going to tell you what, in this life, you're going to have to trust somebody. I told my dad this years ago, said and he got to the place where he couldn't handle things and a lot of things going on, and, and I had to step in there, and uh, I said, Dad, you're going to have to trust somebody. Somebody's got to take care of the situation. They are trusting these apostles, and for good reason. These are good men. These are solid men. They're going to do the right thing. And so the church begins to bring in money. And they're not bringing in money for the apostles to get rich. Come on, say amen. Boy, I tell you what, I'm an apostle, and bless God, I should have this and that. I'm a minister of God. I'm a representation of God. I should have another private jet. I should have a, a, another yacht, another house across the nation. This kind of foolishness is just, it's just raping the kingdom of God is all it's doing. These people are free will give. Nobody told them to do this. And this is what's beautiful about it. Nobody said, hey, Peter got up on a, on, a, on a gathering morning and said, hey, all of you people that have extra stuff, we're expecting you to sell it and bring the profits in. No, he didn't do that, and I'm not going to do that. That's not giving. But out of their heart, one of them said, hey, you know what? I've got this place over here. I've had it for a while. I'm going to sell that thing. I'll tell you what, this church needs, needs to have the ability to take care of the widows and orphans and all the things that are going on. And I'm just going to bring it in there, lay it down at the apostles' feet, and boy, i tell you what, it caught on. Not just one person, but there were several. There were many. And then we find Barnabas. And it, it names Barnabas, but he was only one. And the reason why it names him is because later he became the partner of Paul, and he traveled with Paul and became an apostle. But there were several, not just Barnabas. And so Barnabas sells a piece of property, had a field. And he said, oh, I'm not going to need that. I don't need to grow corn or wheat or anything else anymore. So I'm going into ministry. Listen, I'm going to sell it and put it in the church. And so he did. In Acts 5, one family in the church. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not preaching to pastors this morning, but they would recognize this real quick. One family in the church decided that they were going to put on a show as though they were part of the body. But they agreed at home that they were not part of the body. 
They were going to act presumptuously. And anybody that's pastored a church for any amount of time knows exactly what this is about. And we don't get up and call it out from the platform, this one and that one, but, but there are those who want to be uh, false pretenders, pretentious, I have the, the body, this is the best church in the world, this is the best. And when people start doing that, I'm looking for them to leave in about two or three weeks. No, I'm serious. Because they're trying to talk themselves into staying. They're trying to talk themselves into being a part. Well, you don't have to do that. All you have to do is just be a part. Just be a part of what the body's doing. Just be a part of where we're going. Be a part and, and, and just function and flow with the body. Somebody said years ago, how do you become a member of the Echoes of Calvary? I'll tell you how to become a member. Become one of us, not with false pretenses, but just with open hearts saying, I embrace this body. I want to be part of this body. I love this body. We've had some come in since we've been here in Oklahoma and and we're out of California, you know, and how, how do we connect? How we be, because we, we become part of each other. We're doing the same thing. Can everybody say amen? We're not one doing this and one doing that and this, you know, and, and I don't like what pastor stands for, but I'll come. But I don't want to hear Pastor Rodney preach, but, but I'd come on Wednesday night, but I'll tell you what, I don't want to hear Dustin or, or I don't want to hear Chris. No, 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 I've had those kind of people. I had a man come to me and said, I wouldn't go across the street to listen to De La Vega preach. And Della Vega is one of our ministers. And something says to me, tell him go somewhere else. And I did. That's pretentious. That's where Ananias and Sapphira were. It wasn't just because they held back a little bit of the money. Because Peter tells them explicitly, that was your money. That was your house. That was your stuff. You do anything you want to with it. Just don't come in and act like that you're part of what's going on. Somebody say amen. And so we're experiencing this whole body togetherness thing, right? Amen. And the Lord's ministering to us in that. We have grown in that so much since we've been out here, since we've traveled together and arrived together here in this land. And the Lord is just ministering to us in that way is that we're here to do things together. We're not here to do things separately. We're a body. We're a body of believers. We're, we're you. You know, I, I, I'm not going to say that you, you hang on every word that I say. That's, that's not it. Don't idolize. We don't idolize each other. We love each other. We, we want to be a part of each other. And so Ananias and Sapphira do not have that in their heart. But yet they want to look like that they have that in their heart. So here they come. You know, that Sunday morning or whatever morning it was they, they met on, here comes Ananias. Man, he is just, hey, everybody, I'm here. So good to meet him. They shook hands and blessed everybody. And then when it came time for offering, and he marched up there, and he was probably maybe waving it in the air a little bit, just so everybody would know. Oh, you know, we sold a house. You know, we're bringing it just like everybody else. And God got him. So, well, why them? We've seen so much of that. We've had so much of that. We've had a lot of that just in our church in the last 30 years. I mean, why does God, 
let some things go and other things he judges. I believe that at the foundation of the church, when the, when the Lord begins to build, way back 2,000 years ago, that the Lord is going to make it obvious to the whole body, I don't need your money. Somebody say amen. God doesn't need your money. He'll come up with it some way. Whatever we need, the Lord's going to supply it. We moved in years ago uh, to the gym down. Um, we took it over. <laughs> it was more than we could pay. One of the brothers that had been there that was now pastoring in Reading said they won't be there six months. I know he was, he was in the finances, and he said, I know what it costs to keep that place going. And he was right. We weren't there six months. We were there 25 years. Nothing I did, nothing any individual did, is what God supplied. But God doesn't need hypocrite money. God doesn't need hypocrites in the church to fill pews. He doesn't need that. He's going to build his church. He's going to establish his church. And why do you think Peter says, you haven't lied to me. You haven't lied to this people. You have lied to the Holy Spirit of God. Why didn't he just join in? He had an opportunity to be a big a part as anybody in that place. Why couldn't he do it? Because his heart was wrong. Can you say amen? He said, Satan filled your heart. He opened the opportunity for Satan to give him the wrong advice. He fell over dead. What a waste. What a waste. Then his wife comes in, and Peter says, oh, boy, are you privy to this? Are you, did you know about this? Did you agree together? And because of what you have done, and then she fell over. And, and it says this, that fear fell on the church. Uh, yeah. Next time they're putting the offering plate going around there, I'm going to be really careful what I'm doing. They might be carrying me out. There's no fear in the church anymore. Church full of hypocrites. Full of hypocrites. You say, well, why doesn't God judge? I think at that point, he, he, he had to start the church outright. Can you say amen? He's got, he's got to get the foundation right. And, and boy, he saw that as an intrusion. He saw that somebody coming in there, and, and that would just grow like a, like a canker, a sore. And so he said, I'm going to execute judgment right now. Now, that does not mean that God doesn't execute judgment. It just means he's not doing it right now. But it'll all come to a head. Somebody say amen. It'll all come to a head. So I want to make sure of my life, and you make sure of your life, that what we do is not hypocritical. It's not hypocritical. Let me give you an example. This could be anybody at any time. Get home and say, you know what? I just really don't believe Pastor Rod, you know. I just, eh, he's a man. What he thinks, I think things, he thinks things. We all have opinions. And then come to church and hug my neck and say, you are the best pastor. And get up and testify about me being the best pastor of anywhere around. Well, that's the same thing Ananias and Sapphira did, right? Amen. So, boy, I sure love the brethren. And when you're hugging them, you're sticking your knife in their back. So God's teaching us a thing here, right? He's 
teaching us a thing. And everything that Jesus did, it was, it was teaching. He's modeling something. And so, with a pure heart, a right heart, join in with a right heart. How can I be right? Just join in with a right heart. That's how you're always right with the body of Christ. Amen. Isn't that great? Thank you. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise right there. That's good stuff. Okay, we got just one more, and then uh, oh, this is this is this is so timely, so beautiful. Two criminals hung on two crosses, dying in pain, agony. Both sides of Jesus. Jesus was dying. Jesus is in agony. They are dying in agony. They're also screaming, "I thirst." They're also, their minds, emotions are flying out of order. You think, hang on, I mean, the pictures that we see about the crucifixion, the Lord in the center, and then we got the two guys, and the Lord's nailed to the cross, and they're just kind of hanging there, you know, just they're not beat up or anything, and, and they're just like, you know, waiting to die, hanging there nicely. The Roman government, when they put you on the cross, you're only coming down one way, dead. There's no commuting the sentence. They've already gone through all the steps. And when you get to the cross, so Jesus, come down from there and take us down from there. He could take you down, but they're going to put you right back up. You're supposed to die there. You're supposed to be in agony there. That's the intention of crucifixion. If they just want to chop your head off, that's quick. They did that too, but to these criminals, they wanted the, the public to see what it looks like. If you come in conflict with Rome, this is the picture for you to see. These men are hanging there, dying there. They're railing on Jesus. And not only now have they put him on the cross, and that, that morning they're crying, crucify, crucify. They get Pilate to agree. He has Jesus beat. He puts him on a cross. Two men are with him. And the crowd is jeering. The women, the followers of Jesus are standing back, and they said they're weeping. They know this is the end. The high priest comes by. The priesthood is mocking him. Oh, yeah, come on down, Jesus. You saved others. Come on. Just get on down from the cross. Laughing, scoffing, having a big time. This is what they wanted anyway. So jealous, so incensed against him. Because he has attacked their religious spirits. They are angry to the point of being total murderers. They would have done it. Each one of them would have done it themselves if they could have. Now he's hanging there, dying. Matthew says that both of the criminals 
We remember that both of the criminals began to rail on him. And they joined in with the crowd. Those coming by, wagging their heads, pointing at him, saying he is a prophet of God. There he is. He called himself the son of God. There he is on the cross. And these two criminals are now railing on him also, saying, if you're the Christ, do something about the condition we're in. I think it was maybe in the middle of some of that time that the one man began to think a little bit. It began to dawn on him. Why are they so mad at this man? He's innocent. He's done nothing. He knew. They were at the trial. They heard it. They were there in holding. They knew what was going on. They couldn't even find anything against this man. Pilate went out, and the criminals knew this. Pilate went out to the crowd and said, I find him innocent. He has done nothing worthy of death. And so this one man in his dying condition now, he is, begins to think, maybe, maybe this guy is not who they're saying he is. He sees the anger on their face. He sees the hatred in their voices. And he hears their voice. He hears what they're doing, what they're saying against him. And, it, and something in his heart begins to change. And he begins to realize that maybe it is out of just jealousy and anger that they put him on this cross. He looks at that cross. And from where he's at, he can see Jesus. He can see that writing over his head, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And if he can read Hebrew, he will see the acronym, acronym Yahweh over his head. These are Jewish men and have been trained, trained up in the way of Jews. And now his heart begins to change. I'm going to tell you something. You once were hardened against the Lord. You once were steeped in your trespasses and sins. Now, in different degrees, you know, we've all been raised differently. Some have been exposed to a lot. Some have been exposed to little. But all of us were in our trespasses and sins. Can I get an amen from everybody here? But something began to change in your heart, right? Something began your mind, you begin to think about something. Hey, wait a minute now, wait a minute. And that's this thief, this male factor, criminal, whether he was a murderer and a thief, we don't know. He was just worthy of death. And he turns to his compadre on the other